Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've not told you about something that happened. My sister and her adult daughter came to visit. Yeah, I knew about that. I was here when it happened. Yes. And I was doing a thing, which on reflection, I don't think is great. When we were walking around in our neighbourhood, uh-huh. I think I was just being a bit too gregarious, saying hello to people. To prove to them, like, the, the what, a, what a great life I've made. got, yeah, in my community, what a yeah. lovely neighbourhood I live in. Yeah. Do you, do you ever do that a bit? You're just a bit more friendly than yes, you ordinarily Yes, so I think I have done that So before. I was doing a bit of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, we see one of our son's old teaching assistants. Uh-huh. She is pushing a pram in which is a three or four-year-old kid. Right. I say to her, oh, who's this? She says, oh, boy, no one. That is an odd response. You just think calling a child no one is strange? Yes. So I say, hello, no one. Nice to meet you. Funny. And I look up and she looks horrified, uh-huh. as does my sister and my niece. Uh-huh. My sister then glares at me and she said... No, she said Noah, not no one. Oh. I've told that to a lot of people that it's had a very good reaction. And to you, it's, it was a very flat reaction. Okay, so cards on the table. I thought it was it was a really well-told tale. Let's let's move on. I don't, I'm don't. i embarrassed about this story. But no, no, wait. Can I just say something, though? Yeah. I thought it was really well-told. Just be honest. Don't lie to me. You didn't like the story. What I thought I, it was a bad me, story and it did me, nothing for it, you. To me, it peaked with the good observation that we dial up our hellos when we have family in town. Mm, that was a preamble. Mm-hmm. That was a poor choice on my behalf. Well, no, it sounds like I responded badly. I, f- I find you quite dip- sometimes... I know, I'm a difficult yeah. I'm a difficult audience. I'm sorry about that. I could tell that story again. Okay, do it and I'll pretend that you're not my husband. Okay, I tried that then. She said, Noah, oh not God. no one. Uh. Oh my God, you got to get those ears checked. That's, I guess, what I would do. <laughs> That's what I would do for someone else, I guess. All right, um, shall we uh, Shall we say who our guest is this week? Yes. Nepo-friendy. Big Nepo-friendy. And, but not that he needs a favour, though. I think, actually, we're his Nepo-friendy. Because if they're a Nepo-friendy, you're doing them some kind of favour. But in this instance, he's doing us a favour. Yeah. We, at our wedding, had a total of 38 guests. So this is a Nepo-friendy level that he was one of the 38 closest people to us, including family. Yeah, I think if you subtract family, we're into the top 20, maybe even top 15 between the two of us. He's very top tier. Do you think you're very top tier to him? I was an usher at his wedding. You think he'd really miss you if you died? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's good, yeah. just checking. Yeah. It is Chris Addison. What an entertainer. Uh, he's going to be talking about Breeders, which he co-created with Martin Freeman and Simon Blackwell. The final series is airing now on Sky here in the UK from this week. Uh, it's also aired on FX in the States already. The Onion AV Club headlined the review of the finale, one of the best shows about parenting takes a remarkable final bow. Oh, shit. I know. I can't wait to see how they bring it to a close. Chris Addison is talking about the final series of Breeders later. What a treat. 
Now, for your quick watch this week, you've been diligently following up on recommendations in the inbox. Two people last week said better things. So I'm pretty sure that we watched seasons one and two. Series five is now out. So I thought four seemed like a good place to pick up. Do you want to say what it is? It's just a story about a mom, a single mom living in Los Angeles. She's an actor and she's got three daughters and her mother like lives in a house sort of nearby. And the star is its creator, Pamela Adlon. Yes. Who we first saw in Louie. R.I.P. And she's one of these people, as soon as you see her on screen for the first time, you think, there's a note I haven't seen before. Yes. I always find her a little annoying and incredibly likable all at yes. the same time. Who is it? Is, isn't it? Um, isn't it a famous English actor who plays Celia? Celia Imry. Imry. Yeah. Yes, she's very funny with it. And a thing that that I um like, she just parades around with her body out, which my mother famously it, her like my mom isn't walking downstairs with her tits out, but like in recent years she has come downstairs in her underpants and a long t shirt. And my brother will be down there and he'll go, Mom, Jesus, and just say, I'm in my own home. (laughs) Something I don't think we've ever talked about, and and I can't figure out whether I'm strange for thinking this is odd, or if you're the odd one, we have in our house, it's not prominently displayed, but I'm sure our cleaner has seen it. Oh, God, what? A naked photograph of your mum whilst pregnant. Oh, that's not, it's not like framed in in our living room. No, but but neither is it put away. It's often just lying around. No, okay, hold on. Just for context for everybody, it's, I think Jeff is making it sound much more available than it is. My mom will find these photos and then send them to me in an envelope. But you you are somebody who's often getting things out to have a look at them. So sometimes it's in our living room. No, 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 no. There might have been. Definitely, definitely, definitely. There there was maybe a day where it was in the kitchen or something. A day. But but, but it feels strange that I've um, I've seen your mum's pubes. You've seen my mother's pubic hair. We're a very open family in this way. So you like seeing your relationship with your mother somewhat reflected on better things? Somewhat reflected. And it's very interesting because Pamela Adlon does a lot of cooking and I really find it appealing. Like I like watching her do all her stuff. She's like making this and moving and sipping her wine and oh, she makes a carbonara. And it's really fun and it feels so sort of like homey. To give me a feeling if somebody filmed you cooking your little meals for yourself. You can make a joke about that. But actually, I think I have a peaceful, I've got my like weird walking that's always more emphasized if I'm barefoot and at home. So that wouldn't feel earthy to people. But um, <laughs> but I do believe, and we don't really host that much anymore because we've lost the will to live. I'm not talking about when you're cooking for people and, and you're treating yourself to this. Um, you're talking about like when I fry up vegan salami and then put little scoops of hummus on it. And yes. I'm like, oh, look at my little tree. Um, no, how, how much of what you eat when you're alone would be recognizable to any other human being as a meal? Well, I take your point and not a lot, but I feel like that's how a lot of people eat in their own home. Mm. So it's better things going into your mix then. Yeah, it is. It's fun to be with her in Los Angeles. And there's something about this show, watching it when I've got like a seven-year-old, that feels very realistic, but not horrified by what awaits you. And there's something really nice about that. All right. For my quick watch this week, I watched the reboot of Frasier. Which I never, ever watched. Did you ever watch Cheers? occasionally. See, I used to love Cheers. For my music GCSE practical test, I played the theme from Cheers Mm. on the piano accompanied by Susan Wright, the school swat on the clarinet. Oh my God. (laughs) How did you? 
How did you go about invite? I've got no memory of asking her to do it. No, but I love that she said yes to you. I think you think that I was some kind of social leper. Well, I feel like that's a little bit how you present yourself. Um, so yeah, I used to really like Cheers. And then I watched the whole of Frasier and would have considered myself a fan. But I, it's not anything that I'd ever rewatch. The first thing to say about it is it looks like Frasier. And I don't mean this in a good way. It really looks and feels like a 90s sitcom. Uh But I don't know if it's a cheapness or I don't know if it's a choice to make it feel familiar to the viewer. But it it looks really dated. And that's not useful or funny. I don't think so. But what it reminded me of is when your grandmother... R.I.P. forever in our hearts. In in her late 90s, towards the end of her life... was (laughs) Gone too soon. (laughs) Was moved into a nursing home. Yeah. There was kind of a recreation area within... That home. There was a little town that they'd like built. Yes. So, so in the basement. Yes, but that really oversells it. Yeah. We're talking about a small corridor. They did attempt, <laughs> they'd attempted to make it look like an old timey <laughs> main street mm-hmm. of a town in, say, the 1930s. Uh huh. So the room where the old people would go and get their hair cut, they kind of painted it to look like an old timey barber's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there was uh, like a ye old ice cream shop. Yeah, like yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. But, of course, it was just a corridor with painted shop front, so it, it didn't look like... Picture a lot of beige and brown <laughs> with no windows for people who are dying. <laughs> and, and I just find it depressing, the thought that in, in old age, you would just want to be in some kind of simulation of how things were when you were younger. I, I would, I think, have suicidal ideations <laughs> if, if I was put in a nursing home and then they'd made the basement look like the high street in Macclesfield with a mother care and a rumbelows. Well, and also due to your complete lack of self-care, you're not going to live that long anyway. Like, you'll just like <laughs> drop dead in our house one day in your 60s. So don't even worry about it. Um, so this Frasier reboot feels like Frasier used to look, only without any of the cast except for Kelsey Grammer. What are they thinking? When you said that it was a reboot, I just assumed, oh, they got the cast back together and that will be appealing and nostalgic for people. Um, we also meet his best friend. Oh. Who is played by Nicholas Lindhurst, one of the most beloved British comic actors. Oh. He is one of the co-stars of Only Fools and Horses. Uh-huh. And, I, and I do think Nicholas Lindhurst holds his own in the show. Can I look him up to see if I know yeah. him or would you rather? Yeah. Nicholas Lind Rodney Trotter. Rodney Trotter, yeah. That is a British name. Do you want to know what they've called his character in this? English Mick-British or something? <laughs> But they've called him Alan Cornwall, which sounds like Same an American thing. trying to come up with a British name. Oh my God. There's no reason that name shouldn't exist, but it really does feel like it's come out of a writer's mind thinking, what would a British person be I called? I have to say, as you're describing this to me, the idea that you would do a reboot and it would look old, but not have the supporting cast feels so stupid. And is anyone going to watch this thing? There's a lot of warmth towards the character and the reviews have been generally middling to bad, but it was four stars in The Guardian. I mean, what fucking isn't? Jesus. (laughs) You're not. I'm not. Three stars for old SBZ. Not a problem. We want you in our inbox. Um, Who is the screen mother closest to your own mother? Since Sarah may have found hers in Celia Imry. Yeah. I think I might have done. Um, best portrayals of mother-daughter relationships on screen? Ooh. I was thinking of um, Lucille and Lindsay in Arrested Development. Very strong. What else can we ask for? I Just warm feelings towards 
actors for something other than their work. Like Nicholas Lindhurst has the same birthday as I do. Oh, and so you just like him for that reason. Yeah, yeah. And of course, your recommendations. Yes, please, please, please keep sending us stuff. Also, the thing that people I think feel the most moved to write on is the poison coming in. So keep that poison coming in. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Had a couple of emails this week being like, you want us to join the Patreon? We get it. So to these people, just fast forward this. If you're never going to join the Patreon, but it's never going to fucking stop until everyone who listens has joined. So just fucking do it. Okay. Or don't fast forward this if you don't want to hear it. Here's what I'll say. I've got enough now that I think I'll be able to keep getting my nails done. So what's your next target? My roots. <laughs> also, I really want to buy, listen, our son really needs a new closet. Do you want my son to have a shitty closet <laughs> and a mother who has a lot of gray hair and can't do it out of a box because her natural hair texture is already so frizzy that if she does it out of the <laughs> box, it just turns into one big copper colored Brillo pad on top of her head. Join the Patreon. Also, if you're a 10 pound Patreon and we have, you know, fewer of those than we do our five pounders and our three pounders, remember that you're supposed to be messaging me with your birthday because Lynn Barron is ready and poised to give you her birthday messages and she is a weirdo. So it's funny. So get into it. Join the Patreon. I'm never going to stop asking and I'm never going to stop dreaming. And coming up later, our guest is Chris Addison talking about the final series of Breed. As I said, series, strangely. Then, yeah, but I, I liked it. I okay. can keep it in. Um, series. <laughs> uh, these days, writing and, and directing is most of what he he does. And he's done some incredible stuff like Veep. You may know him from his days as a stand-up comedian, but also perhaps best known as Ollie in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. One of the finest British sitcoms of all time. Mm-hmm. And... We, we have a friend slash babysitter. The, she's in her mid-twenties. I'd say the boundaries are a bit blurred between friend and babysitter. We're not fucking her or anything. Here's why I felt the need to point that out. Because if we'd said we have a friend in her mid-twenties, I, th- I think many of the listeners would have thought, why Why though? You're yeah, old. Yeah, it would be strange. Yes. The, the reason I mention her is um, she told me about a thing on TikTok where young, I guess Generation Z, Generation Z girls thirst after Chris's character, Ollie, as a boyfriend. And this, to anybody who's seen this show, is very confusing because he is oily and self-serving and duplicitous. And and then I thought, I wonder if it is like the modern definition of a bad boy. So these days, instead of it being like James Dean on a a motorbike terrorising the town, (laughs) a a bad boy is a shit who's kind of opportunistic (laughs) and a bit of a liar. He's also got a cute face. Very rosy cheeks. I mean, not anymore because he's old now, but... (laughs) (laughs) Chris Addison coming up later. We jointly watched this week the third season of Lupin, which dropped on Netflix. I think it's Lupin. And I think our relationship with the show is the first season we watched it and found it incredibly addictive. It's fast moving. The lead, Omar C, is born for the screen. Mm-hmm. It felt like a lot of fun. It's about a gentleman thief. A gentleman thief. Who has based 
a lot of his life and personality <laughs> on some short stories about a gentleman thief <laughs> from the turn of the 20th century. Stay with us. Stay with us. But it kind of had a, a very watchable heist. How is he going to do it? Here's the reveal thing, which moved at such a, a pace and had so much personality that you didn't really question it very much. Yes. And it's set in Paris. You really feel Paris is the character around you. The lead is wonderful and like gorgeous to look at. And things happen in a shop that has beautiful antique items. It just felt really pleasing. Yeah, it felt like a very modern take on that kind of jewel heist yes. thing that we've seen a thousand times before, but it really felt like a fresh version of it. Yes. The second series, I would say we enjoyed, but there's this little uh, niggling doubt creeping in that, oh, I, d- I don't want to think too much about this because I think it might be a bit silly, but it, I'm going to still try and enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's where we left it. Uh-huh. So the third then. So the third. Third, then, I think it's possible that in a few key ways, it's quite bad, but I don't know it because they're acting in French. And here's the thing. I think that, like, the leads, um, oh, my God, what's his name? Because it's not Lupin. What's the... Asan. Asan is the character that Omar C plays. And then the other ones, they got these fucking French names. I can't be holding all this shit in my head. <laughs> but basically, the, the very key players... I think are are pretty good actors. I feel pretty confident about that. But some of the secondary ones are bad. I was like watching it being like, this is fun. I wish we could go to Paris. He's so beautiful. I like seeing them outside the Louvre. It's an expensive chapin for the jewels. I like thinking about the jewels. I love a jewel cipher. As somebody who's a big fan of justice, how, how do you respond to the idea of a gentleman thief who becomes some somewhat of a folk hero? I love it because he's a, it's Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the glen. He's, he's feared by the bad, loved by the good. This is a nice plot twist for Lupin. I also like crime with a bit of creativity to it. So there, there is a cinema in the West End of London where they, they have a sign up saying umbrellas not allowed inside the screens. And it's because people were taking umbrellas in and then slithering along on the bellies under the seats and using them to hook people's handbags. Oh. And I wouldn't like it if that happened to me. <laughs> But it's better uh, than just somebody uh, grabbing a phone out of your hand and rubbing yeah, off, isn't it? <laughs> That's better than like right when the guy on a bike yeah. stole my phone out of my hand. Yeah. And, and Lupin is far more creative than that even. Oh, yes. And this is the thing is that watching him do his heistings is very, very fun. It's just that the rest of the stuff feels a little too heavy-handed. Um, as ever with these things, it's twisty-turny. So we've got to be careful not to give too much away. There is a question early on in the series, about whether he's faked his own death or not. Now, this involves falling from a great height. Do you you ever think about if you'd slid down a roof or a cliff and you were clinging onto something with your fingers? How long do you think you'd be able to hang there? Do I have full grass? Yes. Maybe a minute? I I think I couldn't do 10 seconds. No, you probably couldn't. I think the discomfort of supporting my body weight would be worse than plummeting to my death. It's so sad because presumably it's because you've been enjoying a vista and then there's a slippage. So you're falling somewhere very beautiful. It's like you're one moment of flight and then you would die. What a shame. 
I was talking to a friend to whom this happened on a cliff in Cornwall. What? Who? Tom. Of course. And he was able to hang there for quite some time. What? Before then finding it in himself to hoik himself up to the, the next handhold and slowly pull himself back up over the cliff edge. But he told me this and I said, what a terrible thing to have happened to you. He said, yeah, at the time, but I'm quite pleased it happened now. Why? Because of what an experience. And I don't think I have any of that to me. There isn't a single moment of trauma in my life of which I think, well, it made me stronger or it made me appreciate life more. I think I would have just been a happier person if if it never happened. I think these things have just chipped away at me. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you a weaker person and kind of ruins you. Yes. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. One of the tropes that crops up in this show that you see in TV shows and films with some regularity is that of a boxing club which takes oh kids who have the potential to become wayward of, uh, and keeps them on the straight and narrow. How real do you think that is? Oh. You see it in film all the time. Yeah, you see it in film like, all the time. How often is a kid saved from a life of crime? We're laughing, but I wonder if it happens more than we think. Yes, but if portrayals on screen are to be believed, these places aren't environments where criminals don't congregate either. There's always some bad apples knocking around. Bad apples at the boxing ring? Mm. Yeah. Do you know why I can never do box fit classes anymore? You know, I've done them and I'm like, I I can't. I'm not allowed in that space. You go too crazy. Basically, I... You have have, so much rage and it starts coming out through your fists. I knew you were going to say that, but not quite, but sort of. I have very good form as a boxer. And because my form is fabulous, I start to feel a little bit confident. And there's this teacher at the leisure center and he clocks that I've got it. So then he'll, he'll come in my face and be like, push it, push it. And when someone does that to me, I respond like I like a coat. So I'm like, I'm pushing it. <laughs> and I go so hard that I, it's not good for me. And the last time I did one, like I needed a neck brace for my entire body. Couldn't you just start a fight club with your mum friend? <laughs> fight club. Which, which of your mum friends do you think you could or couldn't beat in a fight? Oh, wow. Becky seems like she'd be like, so I exercise more than Becky, but Becky seems fucking nasty if you'd let her go. <laughs> um, so you could be a contender, but ultimately probably not the champ. I think I could pummel someone's face. Like if I was, if I was like fighting for my life against another lady warrior, I think I could like pummel their face. Wow. I also, you know, I keep a lot of my anger at my friends in and then I just let it all out at you. So I have like pent up rage at a lot of people where it's like, that was passive aggressive. (laughs) And I fucking let you say it to me without coming back at you because there's a double fucking standard that underpins this friendship. I think that's sort of a thing is that I can be in some of my closest friendships. I think I can be a bit of a narcissist and make a lot of shit about me and they pick me as a friend because they like to fix people but then they also say like slightly undermining shit to me and i never i never i'm not allowed to bite back and i could let all this out with my fists uh-huh. on their faces uh-huh. look i do think this show remains watchable but the longer it goes on the more you have to silence that nagging voice in your head about how, how ludicrous it really is i do wonder if something that goes on is to do just with expectation like the atmosphere carries it so much that When you're first in that world, it just feels so fun to visit it, but you don't need to keep going back. This is why something should only be one or two seasons. I don't think it's a waste of two hours. I just feel like it might be a waste of six hours. You know what? I get it. Here's who should watch the show. I'm there. Here's who it's for. Do you fantasize about gay Perry? Are you into gay Perry? City of Lights. City of Lights. 
Is, I thought it was the city of love. City of lights and love. Okay. Do you love the city of lights? Do you love the city of love? Also, if you go to a natural history museum, are you all about the gems department? <laughs> I am all about the gems department at a natural history museum. It makes me feel so happy. I like to be like, I can't believe I'm looking at a big emerald. <laughs> oh my God, it's a sapphire over there. Like, it's such a joyous place for me. If you are that person and you love Gay Perry, give it a go. Otherwise, I think you'll be like, is this almost made for a baby? But I don't know it because he's so beautiful to look at and he's speaking Le Francais. We'd love to know what you think of Lupin. Qu'est-ce que tu penses? Je sais pas ce que je pense. Qu'est-ce que tu penses? Tu peux email us at firecratch et nomcore.com. <laughs> I think we need to apologize to any French people listening for that. Nah, they're dominant enough of a culture. Mais je pense de on et on Also, if we've got that itch for gay Paris, what else scratches it? Call my agent. Call my agent is the ultimate. I, I bet there's a ton of French stuff that we don't know about. You know, if you're in France, we're just putting like philosophers on TV all the time. I don't know. There was, <laughs> That's there what was, people always say, isn't it? Yeah. When, when they're lamenting our culture, like, oh, you go to France and you turn on TV on a Saturday night and uh, you see a bunch of philosophers sitting around and having a discussion. In the UK, it's no likey, no lighty. Yeah, which is also an amazing show. But I mean, is, I haven't is, watched is that, that true? So is, is primetime Saturday night TV just philosophers philosophizing? Here's what I think. I think if we've got any questions about American, Aussie, New Zealand, or British culture, we can get those questions answered. I don't feel we have a, a, a large um, group of people écouting en français. We might have some Francophiles, though. Yeah. Like, oh, like yeah. I'm the Swedophile. Oh, yes. I wonder if we have some Francophiles. Our email address. Fuck off. At firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up, we have Chris Addison talking about Breeders, which he co-created with Simon Blackwell, who, like Chris, worked on lots of Armando Iannucci stuff. And uh, Martin Freeman, who I think people will probably know best from Love Actually. Uh, he, he is in that storyline where he's, he's a naked stand-in. Um, and Martin is one of the leads in the show, alongside Daisy Haggard who I know best for her sitcom Back to Life, which I enjoyed very much. I think she's it's just a very funny screen presence and she wrote that sitcom right yeah oh yeah. that was very good and chris is brilliant joe he has never annoyed me in 30 years of friendship that's very weird do you think you've ever annoyed him oh i you am must sure have done. chris addison coming up next hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you have a, a feeling or an opinion on a professional thing that you've done, mm. how needy do you get of how many people's approval to confirm that for you? I think it's fewer people now than it used to be, probably. Uh, maybe because I'm getting older, possibly because I'm getting lazier, which is some kind of unbelievable feat if I've managed to get lazier than I already was. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Say Julia Louis-Dreyfus tells you she likes something that you've made. Yes. 
Can, can you put a number on how many more times significant that is to you than if your sister says the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you have many people who are more critical than your own family. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether... I'm not, I'm not hearing a number. <laughs> no, you're not hearing a number. No, because I, because I reject the premise of your question, Jeff. Yeah, but on you know it's The premise of your well, question though. is firstly meaningless, yes, and secondly mischievous. It's those two things <laughs> all in one. And therefore, but, should but, probably but not the be approval of somebody you think is very talented, yeah. who is uh, extremely acclaimed—that's mm. a special thing, right? <laughs> it is a that, special that, thing. But yeah. anybody who's liable to be, for, from whatever direction, more critical, that is, you know, and, and siblings are definitely going to be that, aren't they? Okay, friend reasons. from school. Let's 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 replace. Sibling well, with which friend? friend? From school. You know, I mean, there are a lot of <laughs> some of those people so are idiots. Chris, some of them are Chris, so Chris, invasive. Chris. I always get interested when people who certainly outwardly present as very <laughs> professionally accomplished, talk about their laziness. Yeah. So what do you really mean? I mean that I am an unself-motivated person and I'm motivated almost entirely by panic and fear. So mm-hmm. in other words, I needed an outside imposed deadline to make me do something. So uh, <laughs> when I'm writing the program that I used to write, uh, has a function where you can identify the number of pages you want to write today and it puts the number in the corner of the screen and it counts how much you're writing and it does this little circle until you've hit your goal. Can I have a crack at defining your laziness? Sure. <laughs> so I think a paranoia that anybody who works in a quote-unquote creative industry is where, where you're kind of working Fuck you, Jeff. It's a creative industry. What, you can take your quotes and your own quotes and put them back on the I'm, keyboard I'm, you found them in. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's all about how I'm trying to come across to people who work in the quote-unquote uncreative industry. Yeah, no, you can keep those. <laughs> I'm trying to placate those people. Yeah. Um, I think everybody is worrying about I'm not doing enough um this this person I'm thinking of this one of my peers they're probably hustling they're probably all day they're trying to get stuff off the ground and I'm a piece of shit I'm lazy and procrastinating and and what I've discovered is that is actually true a lot of the time (laughs) like there are these people who are very kind of work obsessed sometimes to the point of it being about managing their own anxieties and I I think you you don't have that problem. I think you can just squander time. Oh, I can really squander time. But it's n- not in a good way, Jeff. I squander time not in a good no, well, way. Well, I, I would argue that there's... The word squ- I, I mean, the verb it, squander it, it, it is it has, has a pejorative sense attached to it, doesn't it? But <laughs> I'm trying to take the judgment out of squandering. <laughs> You're trying to reclaim the word my squander life to for that. the squanderers. Yes. <laughs> I do have a guilt that when I'm when I'm dicking around, but the guilt is not enough to motivate me. That's the spiral, isn't it? Mm. But then you've got a nice curriculum vitae. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you know, I, you can sort of go. <laughs> I did all of those things, but things recede into the past quite quickly. I remember when the Divine Comedy brought out the sort of retrospective box set a couple of years ago of all of the albums by the Divine Comedy, and I messaged Neil Hannon saying, "It's such a beautiful physical." piece of work this box set and he replied saying yeah it's so strange to be able to hold a life's work in one hand and uh, <laughs> and that's a very reductive way of thinking of it in one way but you know i think that's how creative people um certainly worried creative people uh think which is well i did that now what but i, th- I think actually maybe it's process 
because pretty much every there are exceptions, but pretty much everybody great, their life's work can go into that shoebox. Yes, maybe. But some people. Although, if you do fold up um, the Mona Lisa that small, they get quite cross. <laughs> for example, yeah, but, but but some people have got a lockup full of all the unmade things that it took to get them there. And some people yeah. dicked around. Yes, that's true. People go, oh, how do you get your ideas? Ideas are easy. Ideas are really, oh, yeah, really yeah. easy. There. There's like hanging, 10 a yeah. penny. They're just hanging around. The tricky part is developing it. And the even trickier part is then taking that developed idea and giving it to someone who has the power to make it and wants to make it. Having worked in film and the numbers in film are so different, does film feel madder than television? Uh. I think it does feel madder partly because everything in film is temporary. And so in television, the idea is to try and create something that has enough popularity to return. And what that means is once you've got something up and running, if it's going okay, you're not having to look around for what the next thing is all the time. Whereas film, unless you're making a franchise or Saw 94 or whatever, you're basically making a thing that is a one-off. And the money for film is so odd because with TV, it's possible for one streamer or a couple of broadcasters to give you the money to help you do the thing, right? But, you know, if you sit in an independent movie, (laughs) the first... 15 minutes of the movie is usually cards, ident cards for the various financiers. And it just goes on and on and on and on as these poor bastards have to kind of mosaic this money together into a budget. And I think it's rare in television that you feel like if a show has been greenlit, the show is going. In film, even in the first few days of filming, you think this could all go away. Wow. And and that that process of gathering the money together... Are you paraded around like a, an exotic bird from the world of entertainment in front of money people and investors? Uh, you need an exotic bird to parade around. You need to attach a cast member that makes the people who have the purses excited. So so it is about seeing that talent as an asset that there'll be a return on rather than somebody who can dazzle at a dinner with, dinner with the money man. There's definitely an element of dazzling at the dinner. I mean, sort of famously, that's how the Golden Globes used to work. I think they're doing work to try and change that now. But it used to be, if you put your stars around at the right dinners, things will probably go quite well for you on the evening. That was certainly the reputation, however true that was, I don't know, he said, legally. Uh, but... Um, I hope no one's listening to this and looking at their Golden Globe and sobbing. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I think everyone involved in the Golden I don't think it's a revelation to anybody who's been near that process. But I do think that, yes, if you took Margot Robbie to dinner with somebody, they would probably more likely give you the money um, because that would be exciting for them. But it is also, if you put Margot Robbie in a film, they're going to give you the money because everyone's going to go and watch her because she's superb. But isn't that like an, an odd thing about the entertainment industry in general that there's this obsession with trying to predict how something will land either in terms of the audience it will generate and then the revenue that follows that but the whole history of the entertainment industry tells us that there, there isn't a formula there are people who are sort of supposedly they have their fingers on the pulse and they they're, they're tastemakers, but nobody really knows. There's a story about Frank Muir, who in the 60s, he was made head of comedy, at, I think, London Weekend Television. And he went on a fact finding mission to the States where he visited the set of a show that uh, Mel Brooks was making and uh 
whoever was bringing Frank Muir around introduced him to Mel Brooks and said, uh, Mel, this is Frank. He's from London Weekend Television. He's head of comedy. And Mel Brooks said, you mean you know? <laughs> and I think about oh, that that's all the time. I think about it all yeah. the time because uh-huh. nobody knows. It's all a gamble. Um, Jeff thinks that I can struggle with a lot of British television for the singular reason that it can look too different. What was interesting to me is that like Breeders very specifically looks American to me, which of course it isn't. So what am I saying and why do I feel this way? And is it exclusively a budget issue? To some degree, it's a budget issue. To some degree, it's an architecture issue because you're looking at British homes that tend to be sort of similar looking on those kinds of programs. I understand what you're saying, and it's been a bugbear of mine a little bit over the years. I do feel it's changing. I always felt like when you looked at a BBC drama, do you know, um, are you familiar with the Covent Garden Soup Company? And they were like the first mm-hmm. posh soup. And you go, oh, this is amazing, much fresher, incredible posh soup. It doesn't matter what the flavour was. Something, and maybe it was the carton, but something... Oh tasted the same. Now, I have that feeling when I watch a lot of BBC One drama, for example. You go, mm-hmm. oh, they're, they're, I know they're trying to do something different, but some the carton tastes the same somewhere along the line. Yeah. When we figured out where we were going to set breeders and the house where we were going to put them in, I think that really helped us because it meant that we weren't shooting in a West London semi-detached, which is what you always see people shooting in. Um, we found this house, it doesn't really have floors in the traditional way. It sort of has a series of interlocking mezzanines. It's almost like a zip. Um, and the reason that we used that was because we wanted to feel that there was nowhere for our characters to hide, that everything was open and that they were always under pressure. But the outcome is that it doesn't feel in the same way like the sort of thing that you're that you're talking about. You know, like a, a ticking time bomb when people are making TV shows is if something's a hit, the cast's contracts are coming up for renegotiation yeah. and then there's enormous salary increases demanding by agents. Yeah. Does that happen with locations? Yeah. Absolutely. Very famously, that's what happened with Peep Show. The flat that they originally shot in um, wanted tons of money. So they decided to reconstruct it, to do a build. And so the later series of Peep Show are shot in a flat that is actually on a badminton court in an abandoned military base, uh, which is also where we built the State Department for the film In The Loop. Oh, my God. Wow. Chris, so the the idea for Breeders was Martin Freeman. Is that correct? It so is correct. he brings that idea to you and Simon Blackwell. Yeah. He obviously stars in it. I'm sorry to tell you, of the three of you, he's the biggest star. He's more famous and more recognizable. That's right. And therefore has more power than Chris Addison. Yeah. So if he ever has a suggestion or idea that you sort of think, it's oh, not right, how do you go about saying that to him? We all had quite... Uh, similar vision for it um and there was one specific decision that we wanted to make and martin went that's the wrong decision and we reconsidered and caved and it proved to be i think the best stop of any bad decision on the show say it say it It was a casting it was a casting decision we 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 were going we were were, were for casting somebody and he went ah I don't know. What about this person? And we sort of reconsidered that person, ended up 
casting them and it was completely the correct decision. And that was Martin Freeman. He originally wanted to play Ali, but we persuaded him Paul was more his part. <laughs> what are the distinct roles that you, Simon, and Martin all... Care- careful here, we don't want to offend him because you know, Chris-, Chris is here. You know, he's very quick to be the face of Breeders. But I've looked at IMDb. <laughs> Simon's name is uh, on it a lot as writer. Yeah. There's some other director. Obviously, oh, Martin... so this guy Martin- isn't even fucking doing I, I don't, anything? I mean, he crops up. His name Jesus. crops up. But I'm not, exa- I'm not exactly sure what you're doing. We got I the am, bottom of the barrel I'm without a, even knowing it. I'm, I'm essentially there to be on the letterhead. Um, we're all we're in you know the writer's room and so on together and just i I help oversee the whole process direct quite a lot of it so i think what can be confusing is we'll see like episode written by i mean typically simon but you have other writers as well but but that doesn't mean he he went away and bashed it out on a keyboard himself that, that that process of writing is actually more collaborative than you would think um yes so the process of writing is that we have a long period in the writer's room where we basically try and figure out what we want the season to be and what the themes are and and then get into sort of episodes and all those kinds of things that room contains all of our fantastic writers and we have a, a brilliant team of writers um and it's an interesting room because it's very like therapy it's quite raw because uh, your, that would be your dream there's a lot this of is my dream chris i keep wanting to to know that a writer's room has a therapy vibe and everyone i've spoken to is like no it's not quite like that until now I, and this is actually people like getting their shit with their family dynamics out on the table so then you can mine it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so absolutely because of the the subject at hand is guilt and shame and fear about how you are as a parent uh, and most of the people in that room are parents of kids from you know age one to late 20s um there's been a lot of tears in the room there's a lot of i mean it can be quite crying but it may it makes so much sense to me when i think about the show because you know like as the parent of a small kid the way that that gets conveyed in the show is really... When you see what lies ahead as well. Yeah, just, you know, you know, to the to the credit of the show, it's really, really painful and frightening. Yeah, I mean, I, I have very close friends who said, I'm really, really sorry, but I cannot watch that show. Um, quite a lot of people respond to it by saying, oh, thank God, it's not just me. Um, and some people go, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace the way that they behave towards those children. What's your approach to effing and blinding around the children? Because th- that happens freely in the show. So in the earliest season, um, the actors were seven and four. Um, that's the ages, not the price. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> and basically, we gave them scripts that didn't have any swear words in them. Um, and then we didn't swear in front of them ever. So uh, if the kids were in frame, we would use a different word and then replace it afterwards. But yeah, I mean, we had this enormous folder of um, safeguarding and you know child psychology stuff, making sure that subjects that we raised and that the kids were having to deal with weren't going to be triggering for the young actors and so on. Um, and then once we got into older actors, fuck them. <laughs> which, did which you, uh, did right, you feel, right in front of their faces with the time jumps because the, the the show leaped forward in in time did you feel like a right cunt having to replace the actors the child actors it was hard uh it, it was hard did you get someone else to make the call oh i don't get involved in those things <laughs> <laughs> how, how often has it come up that one of your contemporaries from the world of stand-up who hasn't perhaps had the glittering career that you have has 
tapped you up for a part or a job in the writer's room. Apart from Sarah, that's never happened. (laughs) I've never done that. I've never done that. Occasionally people ask me for advice about how to get into such things, but it's hard to give advice because there's no structure to it. Oh, Chris, come on. It's hard to give advice because what you really want to do is go, I'm fucking talented and that's how it happened. (laughs) If you're fucking talented, something probably is going to happen for you. And then if you're not, it probably won't. And I'm sorry that that's hard, but that is what I would tell you. And this is why you don't run training at the Samaritans anymore. Exactly. (laughs) Now that Breeders is is done, um, what itch haven't you scratched yet? Um, Really, the thing that I'm most want to do is I want to make a movie that I wrote. I think you should. Yeah, we think you should. I'll try. Do that. I'm going to try. Yeah, yeah, you should. You should. That'd be, that'd be good. That's a good idea. I would also like to eat more fondue. I haven't eaten fondue in oh. years. Chris, what are you watching at the moment? Um, I've started to watch Poker Face, which I'm quite enjoying, and we're watching the David Olashoga documentary about the union, which is quite an interesting like history of. Uh, I've been re-watching Seinfeld. Um, Same, so have we. It was interesting reading something that Larry David had said about um, everybody writes their own finale in their head. And so any given finale is sort of disappointing. It's been interesting because our show is finished now in the States and half the people loved the ending and half the people hated the ending. Like, hated it. it sounds like you've done it right, though, if half the people hate it. Yeah, I think so. It. That like sounds like right. many of the classic finales. Oh, no, I, th- I, th- I think so. When people don't like a finale, it's often the case that it just hasn't rounded everything up. And with our show, it would be a, be a complete betrayal of the whole thing. That would be like pretending that life has answers. And the whole show is saying there are no answers. Addo. Old Addo. Let me tell you about a very early glimpse of the, 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 the tip of the iceberg of his genius. Is this going to involve that salad thing? Because you told me that so many times. <laughs> It is. I can't. It's okay. This is this fucking story that Jeff has told me. I'm not joking. I mean, 25 times. Go ahead. There used to be a restaurant called Pizza Land. No longer in business. I'm having a little snooze because I'm done with this anecdote. I cannot anymore. And with your pizza, you got one trip to the salad bar. Chris figured out a way of extending the circumference of the bowl by lining it with cucumber, vertically sliced cucumber, which maybe gave him an extra centimetre and a half, two centimetres even, uh, on top of which to pile up salad. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, this is a brilliant mind. That's so sweet. I've heard it so many times, but I get it. It was this, it was the first moment with someone who then you would get to know very, very well where you went, oh, And he remains. No crying. No crying. (laughs) Don't cry about him. It's not the right time. It's not the appropriate place. Yeah. All right. So far, our inbox has been, and we have loved every fucking email, and we've been grateful for everyone. But it's been a little waiting pool. This is the first week when I went, I could float in this if I want. I went for a little float in all of your wonderful emails. Keep them coming. Thank you more. Our first email this week comes from Lindsay Mace. Lindsay writes, Dear Sarah and Jeff, I joined your Patreon yesterday after weeks of feeling bad that I hadn't. I felt like I couldn't justify it when I'm scrimping and saving at the moment. But to hear Sarah talk about the idea of cutting back, no one wants that. Sarah needs to live like a queen for the good of the nation. (laughs) 
Thank you, Lindsay. I completely agree. I deserve it. It's who I'm meant to be. I've decided to just not get a disgusting, sugary Starbucks each month and said. So all I'm saying is you better be more delicious than a PSL. Do you know what a PSL is? A pumpkin spice latte. Oh, my God, Lindsay, those things are filthy, honey. <laughs> Have you been drinking those? Look. You you love autumn. You just don't love it in hot beverage form. I love autumn. But my hot beverage form is maybe a dry spiced cider. Lindsay, honey, I've done you a favor. Okay? You don't want that shit. You're too good for it. What do you want? You want it if you want like a little cinnamon something? Do you want me to roast some squash for you? What do you want? I'll make it for you. But I don't want you on those those lattes. They're they're too trashy for you. I'm gonna return to Lindsay's email. Was interesting hearing you talk about the Beckham doc and whether he would be considered such an amazing footballer if he wasn't so Adonis-like. I've played a dinner party game before where you have to think of someone who is the absolute best at what they do, whilst also being insanely gorgeous. They have to be so talented that you would still think they are as good as they are if they weren't attractive. It's actually incredibly hard and no one can agree on anyone. And then she and then Lindsay says, I think Keely Hawes is a contender. Hmm. Interesting. Also, Elvis. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I don't imagine I don't picture Keely Hawes hearing this, but if I were her, I'd be like, oh, my God, I just got put in a little category. It's like me and Elvis. Me and Elvis. Yeah. That'd be weird. Lindsay finishes. Sorry, I only got the three pound option, but bitches are having to shop in Aldi instead of waitress. Lindsay, thank you. No apologies necessary. And I mean that. She signs it. Lindsay, kiss, kiss. Lindsay. Right back at you. This is from Gary Bolton Hadfield, who says, Word up, FCNNC. I'm listening to your insight on the streaming documentary Du Jour, Beckham, and you didn't touch upon something which I think nobody has touched upon, but I was really interested to hear about. I'm referring to the Joe Lysett furore, re Beckham turning on his gay icon past to take the filthy FIFA Luca to support the Qatar World Cup. This was his opportunity to have his say on the matter, yet the fact that he chose not to suggests that he has no argument for doing so other than the mountains of money. That's fine, David, but at least have the golden balls to say it. You had, you had made this point and then, you know, we wound up with so many other things that we wanted to talk about that you didn't, you talking about that didn't make it into our episode last week. This podcast is a big edit. A, a lot ends up on the cutting yeah, room floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but but Jeff had made that point privately, and it is gross. He doesn't need the money. He could have taken a stand. He didn't. And Gary says, also, as someone who's worked in PR for 25 years, I can say, A, the whole thing was stage managed to F, but it worked, and they both come off as being highly likable. And B... He definitely had the affair. There was zero denial and it was merely referred to as a difficult time, which again is fine. I think I said at the time and on the episode last week, no newspaper would publish it unless it'd stand up. Right. And I've like I've always felt sort of uninterested in whether or not that's true. Because, because they, they, they are litigi true. litigious people. Gary also says, however, I retrospectively felt for Rebecca Luz, who was put through tabloid hell at the time at the hands of the Beckham suits. Well, 
isn't that every documentary you've seen over the past 15 years? How appallingly we treated a woman at Who, the like, time. slept with a married yeah, guy. But, but, yeah, we were all complicit and we carry on doing it. I haven't. I wouldn't do that. I got all my problems. I am usually on the wrong side of history. I have no moral center. I'll do whatever. I just want to be liked. I always do shitty things. But a thing I have never done is blamed the mistress. Then then you can cast the first stone. I will cast the first stone. Cheers, Gary Bolton Hadfield. Fuck your grandpa. Gary would listen to our succession podcast and we called him Fuck Your Grandpa. It's so nice to hear from you again, Gary. This next email comes from Prue Drever Simpson. Prue, that name is crazy. I love it. It's crazy. Prue writes, hi, FCNNC. <laughs> what? Do I sound insane? You, you sound like a character played by Martin Short. I love it. You know, that kind of... I love it. I do love it, but it's it's just a wild name. It's so wild. <laughs> Dereaver Simpson, Bolton Hatfield, these people, good for you. (laughs) Prue writes, so Michael Patrick King has definitely had a stroke, but I do feel like it's the kind of stroke where he comes in and out of consciousness, alternating between utmost artistic clarity and horrendous drivel. Totally. Honestly, I don't know how he's done it, but in the space of one episode, I can transition from being curled in a ball with shame to weeping uncontrollably. It is the height of art. Totally. We have such a rich knowledge of these characters and their history from many seasons of Sex in the City. To witness their transition from youth to menopause is, dare I say, a privilege? <laughs> I am stoned 90% of the time I watch it, so take this with a grain of salt. But I do think it's one of the best things to happen to me. Oh my God, Prue. When I do my solo pod, Firecratch goes solo. Maybe you can come on my pod one day. Okay. Item two, Jeff, I am with you on the no harrowing documentaries front. I have two fantastic suggestions. Number one, Spelling the Dream. It follows four Indian American kids preparing for the National Spelling Bee. Absolutely fascinating exploration into the Indian immigrant experience in America and how the migration of people that came over for the tech boom in the last few decades has created the second generation of children that have dominated the spelling bee. That sounds good. That sounds good. I feel like I watched a really good spelling Spellbound. documentary. Yes. Yeah, Spellbound. Yeah. And I'll tell you what else was great around the same time. Did you ever see a French documentary uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, about... A a really wonderful teacher in a small, I think, rural school called Etre et Avoir. Uh, Etre et Avoir, oui. Uh, I wish I was you, uh, beginning of our relationship. Uh... Ah, did I... Je ne rencontre pas beaucoup de ce temps, but that was okay. But um, Spellbound was really, really good. I remember that. Oh, it's so moving. Number two, the Speed Cubers. Sweet, genius, interesting youth solving Rubik's Cubes in under 10 seconds. Need I say more? No, I'm in. Three. Finally, a recommendation for both of you that I don't think I've heard on the pod. The Rehearsal. Oh, yes. It's Nathan Fielder's latest show, and the initial concept is that he finds real people who need to rehearse, quote-unquote, something in their lives, like having a difficult conversation with someone and helps them rehearse it so it doesn't go wrong, but to the nth degree. Like hiring a warehouse to build an identical replica of the pub someone will be meeting their friend in. I've never seen anything like it. He's a genius. Yes, I watched the 
first two and really liked it. And then for some reason never went back. But mm. I, I, I thought it was brilliant and one of the most original things I'd seen in a long, long time. Prue finishes, I am approaching my 28th birthday. Of course you are. I could feel your youth in your language in the best and most alluring way. So I'd love to join the youth movement while I still can. Ta-ta, Prue. Is, is Prue the only person who said no, she wants not. to join the youth movement? No, she's not. Okay. So, okay, so she's no, not she's the not. movement. No, I've in had... In the way that Mel is the fan base in Flight of the Conquest. No, it's not like that at all. Could I count the youth movement on my ears? Shush. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Prue, your future is so bright. We'd love to hear from you. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. This week, Sarah watched Better Things on BBC iPlayer and Disney+. Plus. I watched Frasier on Paramount+. Plus. We watched Lupin on Netflix. And Chris Edison likes to watch Poker Face on Apple TV, Union with David Olasoga on BBC iPlayer, and Seinfeld on Netflix. Oh my God. I just remembered I've got my um, autumn dish. I'm going to make us a dinner in my autumn dish tomorrow. I'm going to make a family dinner. I don't care what the fuck my son thinks he's getting for dinner. I am going to cook what I want in the autumn dish. I'm going to put a picture of the dish on the Patreon. Are you going to get a stew going? I'm going to make a nice autumn stew. Come round, why don't you? I got so much stew. I'm using my new orange pop from Le Creuset that I got... That I, shush. That I got doing my corporate. I don't know, but that pot was 250 pounds. I got it for free. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make my good stew. I'm going to get a nice loaf of bread. You're going to come round to us. You're going to have a nice dinner with us. You think this is exhausting to listen to? A little, yeah. I yeah. imagine so, yeah. All right. Don't overstay your welcome. You come for 45 minutes and you get out of my home. I get exhausted very easily <laughs> by people. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.